the Ethereum thesis is that you should not be transacting on the L1s, which should mean that Phantom needs to add support for L2s, but then there's like 100 L2s now. That seems like a nightmare, which is why Helix is only on Solana. I just fundamentally don't believe that you can go multi-chain and provide the best possible product experience for all chains simultaneously. Good, man. Good to be here. How are you doing? Good. So, you know, we have Thanksgiving over here, but you're in Canada. So what do you pagans do? Just no holiday. <laughs> I, I don't even, so I'm Turkish and holidays are a foreign concept to me. So I don't actually do either one. I am from Turkey though. And so I get the occasional Turkey jokes for Thanksgiving as well. Um, but, but yeah, not, not too much. We'll just watch some football. Fair enough. Well, for a holiday week, we've had a lot go on. We had Binance obviously get fined $4 billion and also CZ, who's the CEO, he's stepping down. Then we had the SEC sue Kraken, which is not the first time. I think they came after them probably like six months ago and they actually fined them $30 million. Now they're coming after them for offering an unregistered exchange and also potentially commingling funds. There's no lost funds or anything like with FTX. I think it's really just them trying to look for something with Kraken. You had a pretty good tweet on this because they came after Solana as one of those tokens. They had like Lana, they had Adam, Polygon, Cardano, that one, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, and a few others. So what was the reason that they said that Lana might be a security because it was tied to one of Anatoly's blog posts? So to be clear, that wasn't the only thing they said on there. I just thought that that was one of the things they put there. And I just thought that the fact that they even put that there makes me question their entire premise. And it's actually pretty similar to the one that they did against Coinbase. I think it might even be a copy and paste. And it's it's so bizarre because basically they're saying, well, Anatoly has these blog posts about how Solana is the first web scale blockchain and how it's fast, performance, scalable. And they're like, he's clearly trying to promote the value of the token here. And it's like, and then I started making jokes, right? I was like, um, not sure how PG the show is, but I said, breaking, uh, Gensler's ex-wife says Gensler's too fast in bed, claims he's a security. Um, and just to maybe contrast how silly that was, of course, that brought up some reply guys saying, well, actually the Howey test determines Solana security. And, you know, the, the law isn't, it's something it's kind of up for interpretation and some of these laws are super outdated right which is why coinbase has that campaign that says upgrade the system and it's just laws that apply to i don't know was it orange groves or something from way back was when how the how test came to be probably shouldn't be applying to things that they couldn't have imagined existing in you know 50 years but to be clear this wasn't a new allegation right SEC already listed Solana as a secure or alleged that Solana is a security in their file against Coinbase months ago. Yeah, that was back in June with Coinbase. I think it's important to remember, too, that the SEC doesn't decide what security is. It has to go to the courts. And what's funny is that in this case, they actually referenced the Coinbase case to say, like, hey, these were securities in the Coinbase case. It's like, no, you're the one that said they were. You're just, that's a self-referential argument. So um, it's, it's like an algo coin. Yeah, one thing I thought of, we've kind of seen a DeFi season kickoff for Solana with points first. Now we've had some token airdrops, which we can talk about. We had Pit this week. You also have Jupiter coming up. I do wonder is, do you think something like this could dissuade some of these other founders from launching tokens? Because that's something that everyone's kind of counting on right now. It's a good question. I am close with some of these teams and the teams that are, let's say, US-based are doing a lot of legal research and spending a ton of money so like for the people listening to this who aren't the founders of these tokens or companies you, you would be shocked at how much money you need to spend as a company to pay lawyers to make sure that it is okay for you to launch a token i'm talking on the order of a million dollars and of course that in solana i would say is a bit more USA based than most other chains in terms of user and, and maybe team demographics. So that doesn't help with the token stuff. But the, the teams that are US based are doing a ton of research and, and a lot of diligence. So like this will be when the, the teams that do release it will have some very legit stuff. But then the other side of this, for example, like Jupiter is not USA based, right? Um, at least I don't think. 
And the laws only really apply to the US, right? And you saw this with Backpacks New Exchange. They released a new exchange. Now it's a great exchange, great product, great idea. I don't have access to it because I'm in the West and probably the people in the US don't either, but people in Asia do, right? People in Dubai do. And these regulations, all they really do is go against democratizing access to kind of the new version of the internet, which is really annoying because you're not stopping crypto. You're just blocking crypto for USA people while the rest of the world goes on with their lives and explores the design space here. Yeah, I saw something with Backpacks Exchange. These numbers are a few days old, but they had over 150,000 submissions for KYC. So like 150,000 different people. And I think they approved 115,000. And that doesn't include any US customers. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see that traction. I think that's one reason. I, I don't know what the deal is. There's something like if you have a Mad Lad, you also can get some type of discount when you're trading on the exchange. So Mad Lads are absolutely going crazy right now as well. You, you know, we were talking about this airdrop and there was some confusion on network stability or how Solana performed on that, during that airdrop. I think there was like, let's see how many wallets that got on there. I think, let's see, we had 90,000 wallets. Right now, Pith is sitting at like a $680 million market cap, 4.5 billion TVL. Can you maybe talk about, there's a lot of chat on Twitter about how Solana can even handle the Pith airdrop. How is it going to handle all the payments that are going to, you know, supposedly go through Solana in the future? Sure. So a lot of misconceptions about what's going on there. The network, so there's a few different vectors here. W one of them is the fact that people blamed RPCs for this. And maybe some, and, and some of the applications were using public RPCs, which are not meant to be used in production. Um, and by the way, even if an RPC does mess up, it has nothing to do with the network. Right, that is a complete, that's like a web two problem. Those are just servers. Um, and so if you're having troubles with your RPC, which by the way, Helios RPCs were completely unaffected. Uh, I just have to say that, but th that is completely unrelated, okay? That is an application side thing. Same with your applications being, let's say laggy or showing outdated data. That's also an application level problem that is Right, so if you're thinking about how blockchains and applications work, there's a DAP, it has its own servers and infrastructure, and then a part of that maybe connects to the blockchain. But if the app is not functioning properly, that does not mean the blockchain is not working properly, right? You have to be, that has to be very, it has to be a very specific problem. Like transactions are just, just not sending at all, right? Or the, the blocks are not being produced. Like that would be a network problem. That's not what happened. So, I would say about 90 or let's say 80% of the, the, the things about Solana not handling it were just noise and they conflated RPC or application level mistakes with the network. Now, is the network perfect? No. So something that happens during heavy burst traffic. So there's two types of traffic in, in software and, and distributed systems, really. There's just steady traffic. Maybe you can kind of maybe, uh, liken this to just how traffic works in general and just with cars, right? There's regular traffic steady throughout the day. It's going, it's whatever, not, not great, not horrible, but cars are moving. And then there's burst traffic, which may be rush hour, right? Where every single car decides they want to hit the road at the same time. It's kind of the same thing with, with software. You can imagine Solana as maybe the road here. If generally speaking, people are just going through, going about their day. And, and transactions are flowing. And then sometimes maybe there's like an airdrop and what, what happens is there's a lot of burst traffic. So people claim their airdrop, they maybe go to a DEX, they maybe trade. Okay, now the prices are different. So now the Oracle's have to push upgrades. Okay, now the arbitrage bots are seeing that the prices are changing. So they're trying to get in trades. So it's a lot of interesting and new activities happening just from that one event. And previously, this would cause a lot of spam because what happens is the arbitrage bots keep trying to spam to take advantage of the price movements and, and make money. And previously without Solana's new design, this would have made the chain slow down or maybe come to a halt. It, it would never actually come to a halt from spam in the past unless it was very serious spam, but it would slow down because what ends up happening is the validators have to process so much spam that they just don't have time to process real transactions. And so the tr transactions per second slows down. 
Now, with Solana's new upgrades like Quick and stake-based QoS, and most importantly, local fee markets, validators can essentially disallow spam. But also, if you want to get ahead of the line, you can pay a priority fee to do so, and your user transactions will go, will be prioritized over spam transactions. And so that's actually working pretty well in Solana. During periods of high traffic, whereas before the user TPS would go down, now it's actually increasing, which is very interesting. Solana's general TPS generally used to hover around 400 TPS for true user TPS, not votes. And I've seen it exceed 800 TPS now. That's, that's a lot. That's a 2x improvement in under a year. And that's actually, it, it's, it's a good start, but there's still some problems there because the way that validators process transactions is by looking at something called compute units, right? So for example, if I send you Garrett money, that's going to be a very light operation. But if I want to place a trade on Jupiter, depending on the price of Bonk, and maybe I want to follow some other actions on top of that, that's an expensive transaction, right? Not all transactions are made the same. And currently the algorithm for determining or estimating how much compute unit or how complex a transaction is, is not perfect. And as a result, spam still does become a problem, at which point you need two things. You need better compute unit estimation, which is coming in Solana's next upgrade in January 1.17. You also need things like GDO, right? MEV infrastructure, because GDO is able to detect which transactions are going to fail so that they don't, they, they never make it to the chain. So on the chain, you have more successful transactions than failed transactions, right? And then three, and this is an interesting problem, which is that most teams on Solana just aren't used to priority fees yet, right? They've, They've been around since the bear, but they haven't been battle tested. And so now after this event, I have a lot of teams reaching out to me saying, how can we best estimate how much priority fees to use? And we're talking with these teams. And so there's kind of a lag where most of the teams still need to incorporate this. And so once you have all three of those, then that's kind of, that's, that fully solves the problem. And then, so that is to say like, the chain isn't actually slowing down in the sense that it's it's at, at capacity. And by the way, if it was at capacity, the way Solana scales with cores, you would add more cores, right? And right, just the, let's say two thirds of the validators simply add a few more CPUs or something, you're gonna be able to process more transactions instantly. Um, anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but that's kind of the gist of it. I got a deal for you here that's hot off the press. Blockworks is hosting their premier institutional crypto conference in London this March. It's a three-day in-person event where the top institutions, executives, and builders are all going to be under one roof. The best part is this week's Thanksgiving, which means Black Friday, which we're calling BlackRock Friday because we're offering a 20% discount if you buy four tickets to DAS. Now, why would you want to get four tickets? Well, you're going to come and you're going to bring some friends or maybe some people from work. And not only do you get 20% off, we're giving these four embroidered Blockworks t-shirts that they won't even let me get my hands on. Thing is, this is hot off the press but it's also going to go cold fast this discount only lasts till november 27th so use the discount code blackrock lightspeed that's blackrock lightspeed yeah i'll put a link in the description of the show notes so you can use that go by today and yeah send me a message because i hope to see you there all right now let's get back to the show no 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 that was really good we've been talking about this a lot internally at blockworks and you understand this a lot more than i do but like you said a lot of the users didn't need to pay priority fees in the past because the blocks weren't full. So you didn't have to do that. You, you maybe had spam bots putting that in there so they could get located in certain areas in the block. Um, do you think in the future though, that those priority fees almost go away in the sense that everyone will be using something like Jito? Because if you're using priority fees, for example, you're paying that on chain, 50% of it gets burnt because that's just what happens on Solana. If you're using Jito though, that's not how it works, right? You're basically participating in a, a, a different auction and that whole priority fee you're paying just goes to the validator. Because over time, wouldn't it just make sense for everyone to use something like Jito instead of just going with the priority fee? So the thing that you're describing, which is maybe, let's say, off-chain deals for the money to go to the validator for prioritizing certain transactions. I mean, that's not, you know, that, that is a problem. And it actually already is a thing. In fact, Jito helps with that because before it would be kind of off the side deals, let's say, whereas on Jito it's democratized such that 
if you are running Gito, you also have a chance to do this. And if everybody's doing this, then soon enough, there's competition. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like flashbots, flashbots and Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah. And now there are maybe some under or not widely understood concepts of the priority fees, right? So there's actually two, you're going to need two different priority fees. So local fee markets are great for isolate or accessing isolated states. But if the block is already full, you're not going to get into the block. And at that point, the block fee itself, the base fee needs to be dynamic. And that's a whole nother problem that still needs to be solved. But once that's solved, for example, that's going to be a much healthier system for the economics of the network, right? Because now you, and kind of this, all this talk about Solana's fees being unsustainable and stuff, you're already kind of seeing that kind of, you know, be in shambles in real time where you can see even as one airdrop during kind of, I don't want to say this is a bull market, but maybe the transition from a bear to bull is actually really increasing the amount of revenue generated by the chain. But it's the Jito thing is an interesting question. And I think we should just bring on uh, Lucas uh, and yeah. talk about it in one of the next episodes. I, I don't want to say too much there, but I'm sure he'd have some thoughts there. 100%. Yeah, we'll do that. The, yeah, the fee discussion on Solana is a little bit more confusing because of local fee markets. Like on Ethereum, to me, it's a little bit more straightforward. They have their dynamic base fee that has... As more demand there is for the block, the higher that base fee will go up, and then that base fee gets burned. Solana doesn't really have that, right? The ba- the base fee is just is flat, stays the same. It's the same for all compute units right now as well. And even if there is more demand for a specific part of the state, a hot state, that will get paid through the priority fee, or it'll just go through something like Gito, and that in itself doesn't actually get burned. So. I can see how people from Ethereum would argue like you don't have the same deflationary economics that we have in Ethereum because that base fee goes up as there's more demand and it all gets burned. So that go- that contributes to deflation. Whereas on Solana, you don't have that base fee increasing. You just have priority fees, which might just go through Gito, which mean those fees don't get burned, but they do get distributed to validators, which then get distributed to delegators. So you still have economics that are going on. You just don't have this like deflationary token yet. But anyways... Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't have to talk about the fee markets too much right now. It's probably not the most fascinating for like the average person that's on Solana. I do think something that was pretty fascinating is just to see all the launches of L2s, not just this week, but in general. Like we saw OKX is using Polygon to launch an L2. OKX is an international exchange that's pretty big at this point. And you saw Blast, which is another L2 that's getting a lot of hate for basically just being a three or five multi-sig that you can deposit, but you can't actually take your funds out of. It could just be my timeline, Mert, but it does seem like there's a little bit of a change in sentiment around L2s. I think it has become easy to launch an L2, not a working L2 in the sense that it's still multi-sig and a lot of them don't have fraud or validity proof. So it's really just a side chain, but it's become very easy. So you're seeing more of these pop up and I think you're going to see that in the future. And then it becomes kind of like the last cycle where you just have all these L1s that users are picking in between, but it gets quite confusing. I saw someone even like Viscontes, who we've had on this podcast before, who's not really a Solana bull at all. And he had this thread and he's talking about how he's very bullish on L2s in the long term, but how it is extremely confusing. Like if you're a user or a developer, like where do you go? Like does your does Coinbase or does your exchange even off ramp to that L2? Is your app on that L2? And then at the very end of his tweet thread, like on tweet number eight, he's like, so when I talk to new people, I just tell them to use Solana. And it's funny how he kind of hit it there at the end, but I think that's really how people think about it. So I'm just curious how you think about this changing sentiment and this concept of L2s just popping up everywhere. Yeah, the Blast news certainly exposed some maybe hidden hidden cracks in the, in the fabric of, of some of this architecture, some of these architectural decisions. This was the first time where I saw very respected Ethereum people publicly crucify essentially what, what's happening with, with these new chains. Anything from Dankrad, who, you know, Dankrad is probably the single most important technical mind for Ethereum right now after Vitalik. I would say maybe that's controversial, but you know, Dank sharding is literally named after Dankrad. John Charbonneau, some guys from Lido even, certainly the guys from Optimism and Arbitrum. And everybody was just not happy with kind of this, this, this state of blast. And I actually published a tweet today. I didn't realize this, but they actually explicitly criticize other L2s in their own docs. They say to not use Optimism and Arbitrum because blast has substantial incentives in their own words and native yield and 
Of course, they don't mention the fact that they're not actually in L2 because they don't have proofs, whereas Arbitrum does, for example. And I tweeted, it's a really weird state of the world where I find myself having to defend Arbitrum. <laughs> but, but it is true. And so one of the interesting themes that started after Ryan from Bankless tweeted about rollups being kind of websites, right? Like every website is, you can think of as, every new rollup is kind of a website and that doesn't cause fragmentation. And then Sam, the CTO of SWE commented, replied to it about how, well, composability and atomic state are kind of the purpose of blockchains. And then that sparked maybe clapback from like Celestia and, and some of the rollups folks. And, you know, obviously me as well. And here's kind of how I think about it. In the last cycle, true, Altal ones did cause fragmentation and you would see some copy paste like EVM forks or just sketchy L1s and that would maybe cause fragmentation. Now, that was a problem, but my argument is that L2s cause much more fragmentation by their own structure because it is one, way easier to launch an L2 than it is an L1. Two, the L2 can piggyback off the network effects of the L1, right? So if you say you're in Ethereum, yeah, go ahead. I just got to stop you for a second because it is easier to launch an L2, but not a working L2. It's, it's just easier to launch an L2 in the sense that like, there's no working fraud proofs, validity proofs, you have a multi-sig. So sure, it's easy, but it's because you don't, there's just not much there. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. That's, I said to put it out there. <laughs> no, that's a good point, right? And and what that does is it it neglects the work of the real L2 work being done by like the likes of Arbitrum, for example. You can imagine a world in a year and a half, let's say there's a peak bull market and people are just, they don't care about using Arbitrum because they're so busy chasing native yield and substantial uh, incentives, as Blast put it, across all these L2s. And anyway, so the, the, the point there is one, they both cause fragmentation, more L1s and more L2s, but it is structurally easier to launch L2s. That's just, and, and, and two, L2s benefit from the network effects of the L1, right? So if you say, hey, I'm an L2, but we are Ethereum aligned or like we, we sell on Ethereum, people are going to be like, oh, okay, that's kind of legit. Ethereum is a legit chain, right? Whereas that with an L1, you have to start the network effects from scratch. And so you're not going to get as much attention. And then, you know, that also starts uh, competition between these L2s. Uh, and it, it kind of maybe becomes more tribal and you can already see this on the timeline. And then what happens in my view is it's too complex for the average user or, or developer entering the space. They would have to do a lot of homework and make sure they have an incredibly good BS detector to actually pick one of these L2s and which one they should pick, which of course means that the easier choice is going to be building on Solana. Yeah. And I think a hard part of this is it puts a lot of the onus on people like Coinbase probably to essentially show people where to go. So they have the Coinbase wallet where you can interact with Web3 applications and chains. And a lot of people, a lot of new users are going to go to Coinbase. They're going to click on that little drop down and see which L2s they can go to potentially. I don't know. You know, we'll see how this works. So Coinbase almost becomes the arbiter of like which L2 wins in that sense. And they have base. So if I'm Coinbase, I'm directing everybody there, especially like Celestia, you see this all the time. They want to make it where like L2 is like launching a website or a sovereign rollup is like launching a website, extremely easy. To me, that's like decent for something like ETH as an asset potentially, because I think of like Shopify, Shopify is a platform. It has a ton of websites launched on top of it. They don't really care if a single one fails, right? If, if one fails, that's actually fine to them. They just want to have that long distribution of winners because that's how they really make a lot of their money. So I don't know if this hurts ETH or Ethereum itself, but it definitely hurts users that are going to go. It's kind of like if you went on the internet and you didn't have any like pop-up blockers or you didn't know where to go, like there has to be some form of curation. And you see that yeah. with websites right now, you have AdSense and you have people doing SEO to try to get ranked. Like, how's that going to work with L2s eventually? And then that just takes you all the way back to like wallets and Coinbase kind of have control outside of the few applications or websites that actually have that brand, like something like Apple. I don't go to amazon.com right. to buy an iPhone. I go to Apple and I think it's going to kind of be something similar. Yeah. And that brings up a tweet that I saw. I think it was from actually David from Blockworks about how this is like the cycle. If, if this is a cycle with the least amount of consumer, new consumer apps that we've seen, right? Like nothing really has changed in terms of the consumer landscape. Maybe there's Frentech, but that's about it. 
And, but there's a lot more, like th this is kind of the problem with the demographic of the industry, in my view, which is people now are just like spending time just launching L2s just to launch them. Yeah. And it's like, you're not, you're not going to mask the fact that you don't have users by just doing that. Right. You can, it's just kicking the can down the road. And I don't know what the solution there is. I mean, some of them obviously have noble goals. Some of them don't. And uh, maybe we'll get to this in, in a second anyways, but you probably saw that Paul Nia uh, published a post on how uh, L1s are cripplingly inefficient um, while also talking about how the big old bottleneck for crypto is a, a lack of useful applications to which I said, <laughs> well, if, if that were the actual problem, then why did you spend the last few years promoting fractal scaling with L3s? Right. And so there's kind of a tremendous paradox in this industry where there's the infra and there's the apps, the bottlenecks are the apps, but people are still focusing on the infra. And Mark, that goes to Coinbase as well. I know you are all over this and you saw all the Solana timeline. Brian Armstrong came out with that tweet and he's like, we've been working so hard to find a solution where we can have sub-cent transactions at sub one second finality. And and it's like, that is Solana. <laughs> he hasn't mentioned Solana in any tweet ever. But what I do think is interesting is like Jupiter with their airdrop. You actually saw people from Circle. You saw Jason from Blockworks. All these different people around the space are talking about Solana because of that. And that does leave credence. Like, honestly, the more airdrops you see out of Solana, the more people are going to talk about it. And maybe at one point, Coinbase will actually talk about it. Because if you think about Coinbase today, they probably have like two sole tokens listed. Like, they don't really have, it's not very material to their business, right? They have Solana. And then what? Like. They may not have anything else. Yeah, they used to have Orca and Bonfita when I was there. Um, they probably added some few other things, but yeah. Um, one of the things that people don't understand about Coinbase, and yeah, Brian makes kind of like this bi-weekly post basically talking about how there's nothing that exists that solves payments under one second, one cent, which is, I'm not sure what, what's happening there. And, and so I started tweeting like, oh, I got it. I wish there was a compliant U.S. exchange <laughs> just to see how it reacts. Um, and one of the things like people are, are wondering, OK, why is Coinbase like this? Why are they ignoring Solana? And some people think like corruption or like, well, they're just trying to push base and they cannot push competitors. And I don't think that's the answer. Like, I, I mean, Coinbase is not corrupt. OK. Um, they, they're a business with their own business goals, but they're not corrupt. I think the much more likely answer is that they don't have much crypto talent in the company. This is something that people don't really get, but Coinbase is not really a crypto company. It's more of a Web2 company with a few crypto native folks, mostly through acquisitions like Bison Trails. Uh, that, that's kind of the source of their crypto native talent. And if you talk to the Bison Trails guys, they will actually talk pretty highly of Solana. They were actually one of the first validators that ran Solana nodes. And so what people don't get is Coinbase used to be this kind of very crypto native company, but then they IPO'd and the rich people, um, or the people got rich, or maybe the other people were obviously early into Ethereum. And so now you have maybe Ethereum focused folks and people who are crypto native who are rich, who leave to start their own companies. The Ethereum folks, of course, don't care. And then the execs are all from like LinkedIn or other Web2 companies. And so these people don't even know anything above like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin in a sense. Uh, and, and people are surprised, but like you can watch Anatoly's podcast with Brian. Brian doesn't really know Solana, um, which is fine. It's, it's kind of our job to make enough value and information and storytelling to make people care but the reality is currently these web2 people just don't know about crypto or crypto native things past ethereum and bitcoin yeah to be fair like the industry is hard to keep up with even though i do think at this point people should have a general idea that solana is extremely fast and cheap but you know whatever i do think one point talking yeah. about l2s that that was funny raj from uh solana tweeted this week he said treat every multi-sig as if it's held by the open ai board that fired some <laughs> ultimate and honestly like, that's a that's a great point because all these l2s do have multi-sig bridges that you're trusting obviously blast is a pretty bad case of this i think they have like 130 million in tvl which is insane uh but uh, yeah man you've you've seen all this drama with sam altman it's been an absolute mess it sounds like he's going back to open ai 
um, this week, probably. I don't think we should get into that because that's not our bread and butter. But I do think it's interesting. And like Ceteris, I want to know that guy's actual name. Trying to get, I've been trying to get him on this podcast forever, and he keeps telling me like a month out, a month out. But he tweeted, he's like, you know, in reality, these top L2s will probably always have a multi-sig bridge. Like you can have token voting to update it. You have to basically update these contracts, these validating bridges. And let's just say you need to freeze it because there's a bug. You got to have a multi-sig. And that's maybe fine. I just think it's kind of weird for people to always act like these things are going to be immutable in the future. And it's true. Humans have flaws. You just saw what happened with the board of OpenAI. Like they think they're doing what's best for the world. And they're the ones controlling what OpenAI can do and like ChatGPT. Yet, like they had no idea the repercussions that were going to happen when they fired Sam Altman. Like you saw the pushback. So like obviously a few people don't always know what's the best thing to do. And that's the same with a multi-sig bridge. Like I would rather not trust most of my assets on a multi-sig. Yeah, and that seems very fair to me. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that permanently either. And yeah, I think Ceteris is pointing out how a common pushback is like, well, L2s are centralized right now, but over time they will become more decentralized and the multi-sigs will be removed and it'll be more permissionless. And the reality is that's probably not going to happen, at least not for a very long time. And I think some, I think Toro from Scroll, um, pointed out how you can maybe automate this and I, I still need to do more research there but I think pragmatically speaking it's just not really going to happen for most people I mean like OpenAI is probably the most important company in the world right now and their board is acting like this crypto the stakes aren't that high yet but you can see that as they get higher your trust in humans should become less and less and, and I mean, Bitcoin's white paper, I think, says this, right? Like, the entire point of this is to trust cryptography instead of humans. So if you're now trusting humans via cryptography, that's slightly better, but it's still not quite there. And, but I mean, you know, the interesting part about this is that it doesn't seem like anybody actually cares that much, right? Like, uh, L2s, uh, with the exception of Arbitrum, which does have fraud proofs, but the fraud proofs are restricted to whitelisted actors. So it's still permissioned in a sense. It doesn't seem like anybody cares, right? Uh, people always talk about, you know, decentralization and, and Solana is not decentralized because high hardware requirements, which by the way is an absolutely moronic statement. Um, but it doesn't seem like anybody actually cares that much, which is certainly something we're gonna need to figure out as an industry, which is how do we, hold people accountable for not being decentralized while LARPing as decentralized and pushing everything back. And we saw this with like CZ, you know, uh, representing crypto. I think Jason from All In was shit talking crypto and Binance. And it's like, okay, man, like that's a centralized exchange. That's not necessarily what we're building here. That's kind of just an on-ramp. And yeah, we, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I don't know what the solution for, the, for that is. Obviously, like right now, it's a tech getting the developers on your side. I think it's huge because wherever they build the apps, that's where the users will go. And beyond that, it's reputation, it's branding. Like branding's huge. Like I, I'm going to, uh, to Cabo for a wedding here in like six months and I was booking the room and I saw like three sites I could go through and they were like 20% off, 40% off. Like we have a, you know, a sell for 80%. And then I look at reviews and it's like, do not trust these people. Took my deposit, <laughs> didn't get it back. Right. And so instead I just went to the hotel's website. I'm like, can't get screwed this way. But really that comes down to branding and trust. And like, can users make that decision? Like a lot of people get screwed on these websites. Right. So I think that'll continue to happen. Um, this is a little bit more technical, but you've tweeted this a few times because we're talking about L2s, which one nice thing about L2s is they can provide instant confirmations, which you call pre-confirmations because you actually haven't put the batch on the L1 yet. So it's not final. It could change. And often you'll push back and say, well, you can do this on Solana as well without needing an L2. And you said you can explain this with durable nonces. Um, you can get immediate soft finality. Can you maybe just give like a high level basic overview of what durable nonces are on Solana? Yeah, so at a very high level, what is an L2, right? Or at least an optimistic rollup, not necessarily a ZK rollup, which is different, but an optimistic rollup, what is it really? So you do a bunch of transactions on the L2, and then they get processed by the sequencer, and then the sequencer batch posts them to the L1 after some time X. And then you can't actually withdraw for seven days because you need to allow people to submit proofs that somebody was apt to. That's why it's called optimistic, right? It's optimistically confirming this. Okay, so on Solana, if if you take that same concept, 
Uh, with durable nonces, what you're doing is, I'll, I'll say something like, okay, Garrett, I'm gonna send you $5 and then let's act like that already happened, right? And then you get like a cryptographic hash for the signature or something. Now it didn't actually happen on chain yet, but for our purposes, we're optimistically saying that it's just gonna happen. Uh, and there's a cryptographic guarantee in a sense that exactly what I'm saying is going to happen. And so what you can do is you can just say all these kind of optimistic statements and, and store them somewhere and then just batch post them to the Solana blockchain at any moment. And it's the exact same thing. In fact, it's much better because it's now enshrined. You don't have to leave Solana to do it. I mean, look, like the sequencers currently are single servers anyways. So why not just store that in another single server that's on the L1 itself, right? Like, like literally what's happening is I'm saying, I'm gonna do X, I'm gonna do Y, I'm gonna do Z. The, some servers keeping track of this and then it's taking that, all those things that I, we said we we're gonna do and then it's actually posting them. When you say and server, is that something that like Helios could provide? Anything, it's literally yeah. anybody can do this. Um, yeah. it's, it's just, you, you just need to remember the transaction. It doesn't have to be Helios, it can be anything. And this is what code does, right? Uh, we had Ted from code. And when you send money, right? Like th th there's a code app and, and you send somebody money, it instantly confirms. It says, okay. And it, 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 it's like maybe a millisecond or you know something in that range. But the fund didn't actually move on the blockchain yet, right? It, it moved for you, the user. So you feel like you, you spent that money but the, the transaction later will be posted to the blockchain. And this is actually exactly how credit cards work and, and debit cards, right? Or most bank payments in general, right? What happens is you have your bank account um, and let's say I sent you $5. Uh, let's say I, I paid for McDonald's and I, I, I paid $5 for a Big Mac or something. The money doesn't physically leave my bank right away, right? What, ha what, what happens is the card provider says, um, this person is authorized and are a criminal, they have enough money in the bank, we'll just pretend that this fund will go through. And then maybe a day after or two days after, there's a bulk processing system that's extremely ancient that physically takes the money, decrements from your bank ledger, and then increments from the other bank's ledger. And it actually happens, the physical fund movement doesn't happen right away. And you can also see this with wires, right? Like when I send you a wire payment, it doesn't come right that second, right? Mm -hmm. Because the settlement process to get there is uh, educated, let's say. And so it's the same thing. Like blockchains at the end of the day are settlement layers, especially L1s. And so if you're using Solana as a settlement layer, you can do whatever logic you want to do on top of it and then post um, uh, uh, the attestation on chain. But the cool thing about Solana is that it's so fast that you can just bypass that whole thing and instantly physically move the cash, right? Which is, now that has never been possible, right? You've never been able to physically move value that fast. And so that's why, for example, Visa's experimenting with cross-border payments, right? That physically moves the money at the speed of light, yeah. Yeah, Mert, do you have Venmo in Canada? <laughs> no, we don't. No, okay. Because like when you were talking about that whole thing with credit cards and how it actually works, I'm thinking of Venmo as well. Because if you're at dinner with six friends and you can pay them, and as soon as you hit pay, you'll see that balance update in their Venmo account. It's like instant, right? It's like as fast as Solana. Thing is, the cash isn't actually moving. And if you want to take that Venmo balance to your bank account, that can take like three to five days. But you can also pay up. You can pay like $10 actually, and they'll get it to you within 24 hours. So it's interesting how it's really just these abstractions on top of this underlying banking layer that you'll see happen in crypto as well, because if you're an optimistic or ZK rollup, they only post batches intermittently. Like it might be twice a day, or it might be every three minutes. And if you pay yeah. up, you'll be able to do the same thing in crypto. But the nice thing is with Solana, like you said, because the base layer is cheap and fast, you can actually do it there instantly. Whereas on something like Ethereum, you're probably not gonna do it on that one unless you're moving you know, millions of dollars. Um, I have something that I thought was kind of interesting this week, and I'm just curious what your take is from a philosophical standpoint. So we've had Antonio from DYDX on the show. They recently released an app chain in the Cosmos, but Antonio and Kane from Synthetics, who we also happen to have on the show, who started Synthetics, now he's Infinex, which is more or less a front end built on top of the Synthetics liquidity layer, had this back and forth. So this week, there was like targeted market manipulation attack on Wi-Fi, one of the assets, and there was a $9 million loss to DYDX's insurance fund. They have this insurance fund in case something does go wrong. Wi-Fi crashed like instantly at 40%. No consumer deposits were affected. 
Um, but Antonio came out and he says, like, look, we're going to share all this info publicly. And also we're speaking with applicable law enforcement agencies, which when you hear that in crypto, a lot of people kind of like frown, frown upon it. DYDX so the FBI, is, I think. Yeah, the FBI, right? And and Antonio and DYDX have kind of been known for this, like playing between decentralization, centralization. Like their front end's not available in the US. It's not that rare. You see that with a lot of applications. Their MEV prevention's been at a social slashing layer. So they've actually had like dashboard to see if any validators taking more any more MEV if they should. And if they have like social consensus just comes together and says, we're going to slash you. So again, it's not through code. They have just recently implemented something called ABCI++ from Cosmos to actually make that more programmatic. And then Antonio said he doesn't want any validators operating in the US, even though he doesn't have control over that. So Kane came out and he said, DYDX has never been decentralized. It's run like a SF startup. Starkware to Cosmos, that move, like the community had no input. That was all Antonio. And then Antonio comes back and he says, like, do you not know we're pivoting to a fully sovereign chain with no centralized components? But what I thought was really interesting, he says, in a lot of ways, I don't particularly care what token holders think of the product, just users. And Antonio is probably the most user focused person in crypto, which I think he's an absolute G for. But he does kind of treat DYDX right now like more of a fintech startup that you see. And his hope is what he's tweeted is we're going to take this amazing product and we're going to mesh it with decentralized technology to make it something that's not just a normal centralized product. But I'm curious, like what you think about that, looking from Kane and Antonio's perspective. Oh, man. Well, of course, they have both have points. And they are both OGs and, and have been around for some time and have reached success in different dimensions. I think putting aside ethics at the end of the day, what's king is always just going to be the market, right? If the token holders and users know this about DYDX and they still choose to make it basically the top ranking DEX, right? Let's say for perps in the world, then kind of the market has spoken, right? And maybe the market doesn't stay that way forever, which is totally right. Like if Kane and other people in, in, in the ecosystem can make the case that this is actually bad and the market listens, right? Because at the end of the day, you, you do have to make your case and, and, and hold people accountable and tell stories and give the market the information it needs. After you've done that over some period of time, if that results in zero change, then that's just the way it is, right? Um, the people always think about product when it comes to product market fit, but the much more important aspect of the equation is market, right? You work backwards from what you think the market requires. If the market requires you to function the way Antonio functions, that's just it. At the end of the day, crypto is meant to serve a specific market, right? It's not just, it doesn't exist for its own sake. Now, the first market that it sought to serve was digital cash, right? And, and, and maybe now for Bitcoin, it turned into like digital gold. And then now with DeFi, it's okay, people who want an alternative to TradFi finance, right? So at the end of the day, we can chat about if we agree or disagree, but in this specific case, it's a very complex answer. And I think when it's a very complex discussion, maybe it's a bit more philosophical, then really the, what I would do personally, or what I do is the market is king. You have to listen to the market. If the market thinks this is right, then that's, you got to accept as a reality. And then maybe you don't agree with the market, in which case you will say something like, this is not what crypto stands for. Okay, do that and then see if people react, right? Um, for example, people were very bearish on Solana during the FTX stuff and the SEC and outages. And everybody's like, oh, well, the market is right. Um, um, Solana sucks. Everybody is choosing Ethan L2s. And I was like, yeah, I see that. That's kind of the market right now. But I don't think the market is going to be this asymmetric for long. And here's kind of our bets. Here's the stories we're going to tell. And if it works out, it works out. That's a good answer. And I will say the market right now is leaning into Solana more than ever before. A little like behind the scenes. You know, I'm, I'm with the researchers every day. And uh, I've never seen our researchers commit so much time to Solana. Not only like, there's a lot of dashboards popping up, we've seen that from Dune, but our researchers are focusing in on it. You're seeing more people tweet about the ecosystem. So it's really cool to see that Solana is actually catching on. Um, bonk <laughs> has got so much attention on my timeline. Mert, I need to know, do you, do you, have, a, do you have any bonk? I do have bonk. I, uh, 
I was airdrops and bunk. And I also, I started this developer community last January, right after the FTX happened and people's morale was very down. And I figured, okay, we should probably get our own developer DAO going that Ethereum has, but on Solana, I called it Lamport DAO. And the guys who are working on Bonk wanted to reward developers. And so I worked with them and we were able to give a few hundred developers thousands, right? Because when, when the airdrop first dropped, it was like $700 or something. And then within a few weeks, it was like $22,000 or $23,000. And like people would message me in that group, like, dude, like you guys, Bonk changed my life. Because like people in Nigeria or like Turkey, $23,000 is a lot of money. That's more than most of their salaries by far. That's just how how strong the US dollar is. And so it, it really helped a lot of people. Um, my co-founders also received it and they instantly sold at like 700 and then it, <laughs> it like 20 X in price. So I thought that was hilarious, <laughs> but yeah, Bank is, um, Bank is interesting because it's so controversial in a sense for people are like, Oh, it's just a meme coin. It's zero sum. It's, you know, not real value. But then on the other hand, it's actually like very community driven and people are integrating it. I mean, Bonk hosts events and, and, and it literally funds hackathons, right? Like they've sponsored many hackathons so far. And so I think if we're talking meme coins and community coins, which I think is a better name, by the way, than a meme coin, I think Bonk is just about the best implementation of this that I've ever seen. Like it's, I think even like the insider allocation, which is like 21 contributors is over like a three or four year vest. Like that's, you know, that's unheard of a four year vesting period for a meme coin. So I think, um, I personally like it a lot. I don't, you know, I don't trade those things. I just have it. Yeah. But, uh, it's certainly fun. It's up 1800% in the last 30 days. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Bonk's not even listed on a centralized exchange. So I've seen some people say that like Bonk's going to be the Trojan horse to Solana UX. Essentially, you have to get a Solana wallet to actually get Bonk. So once you do that, maybe you'll be introduced to the ecosystem. And then others are like, well, no one really wants to do that. So you just get indirect exposure to Bonk by a soul. Um, I don't really know, but I agree with you. I think it's one of the most interesting meme coins or community coins that's in existence. Also, just the the volume that Bonk and other Solana tokens have led is pretty crazy. This last week, I think Solana Texas hit their highest volume ever all time. The last seven days, they've had $3 billion in volume. Um, ETH still had $9.8 billion, but like ARB, for example, Arbitrum had 4.3. The really cool thing is, though, is how much volume Solana has compared to the TBL. So the volume is mm. like 14, 14 times. So if you divide the amount of volume over the TBL, whereas if you look at like ETH, it's like 1.63 and then ARB is 3.91. So it's much, much smaller. Now, I think it is fair to put out there because I actually put a tweet on this. It's very bullish. It's really nice that Solana has a high volume to TBL. That shows capital efficiency, just like Clobs would compared to AMM, where you have to have all this TBL just sitting there that's not actually being used. Um, but then you do have like these airdrops, like we had Pith, we have Jupiter coming. You're going to have more and more people doing, I don't know if you call it wash trading, but like trying to get these airdrops. So that's definitely going to contribute to the volume. Uh, but when someone said that to me, I countered with, well, if you took out the 10 biggest wells on Ethereum, like the majority of their TBL probably disappears too. So I think the, the real answer is there's just no great metric yet for crypto to say this ecosystem is working, except the number of developers that are working in that ecosystem, the momentum that, that you're seeing with the applications being built on top. Like mm -hmm. all these metrics are great, but if you pick out one metric, you're just gonna be wrong because they're too gameable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And I tweeted something about like, what metrics do you guys use and what's the best and worst metric? And I think my take on this is just the number of startups that, that are getting VC backing, let's say, that is gonna be, the most interesting stat for me to look at, right? Because it means that you can make the case that you can build a business on top of this chain and convince others that it'll be a good business and form a team to work on that chain and, and, and around that chain. So it's not a perfect one. It can still be somewhat gamed and, you know, depending on the quality of startups, but it's probably one of the least bad ones I know of. And it's also, it also means that it's going to be a healthier ecosystem because more startups means more customers for the existing teams and that's obviously going to be uh beneficial um and yeah the um the tbl argument won't get into it too much here but it, it is in uh it, it is absolutely yeah it, it's 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 very interesting um uh, but the volume argument is interesting as well because on solana that is true you can do uh more watch trading on solana so i think that should be called out 
uh, aggressively, um, which I mean, I kind of tried doing like, there's a account called Vgen News that like said like, oh, Solana surpass X in volume. And I was like, well, you know, there's an airdrop. Let's maybe not celebrate something so ephemeral. Um, you know, Mer, just one thing I'm thinking of when you're talking about this, I don't know if people in crypto would like this because it's centralized, but you know, Coinbase now has Coinbase credentials, where essentially if you use Coinbase, they can give you almost like an NFT that then you can interact throughout DeFi. And if you're a certain application, you can say only people with this credential can interact with this app. And that's essentially, you could say a form of KYC, but you don't actually have to give up your information to those apps. You're kind of trusting Coinbase in a sense, right? But you already did that because you're a customer. You could see that becoming, maybe it's not Coinbase, but a thing with these airdrops, because the biggest thing with airdrops right now is like Sybil attacks, right? Like it could be the same person with a hundred wallets. I actually saw Jupiter, they're coming out with their airdrop and they're not going to look for like duplication of wallets. So they're not really looking at these Sybil attacks. They don't think it's really happened slash they just said the complexities of actually trying to choose like, is this wallet the same person as this wallet is extremely hard. Um, so that's always going to be something that's extremely tough in crypto, but something like Coinbase credentials does push back against that. Yeah, there's actually, it's interesting before Coinbase announced that there's actually another team on Solana that's working on this. It's called Gateway. And it, it was actually the exact same idea, which is you have some off-chain data. Maybe that's your driver's license information or the, your KYC information. And then you prove that it exists, right? Maybe there's like a ZK proof. And then the entity gives you some NFT or credential that is now soul bound and tied to your wallet. And now you can use that as your passport to certain applications, right? So for example, maybe I just did it once from Gateway and then now I can actually use the backpacks uh, exchange just by connecting that. And so that could be, you know, identity is something that's like, it seems like if it's executed properly, it would be like by far the biggest deal about crypto. Yeah. But it's also like the one that's just not working. Uh, and, and it's so. It, Did you listen it, to my Chow interview? I'm going to guess you didn't. Did you listen to the Chow interview? I listened like the first 20 minutes, maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, he didn't get to it. He, he, we talked about, the, about this kind of extensively. He's very bullish on Coinbase. But his point that I did think was inter interesting was an analogy with like, what is your identity that you use throughout the internet today? For a lot of people, it's Gmail, right? It's like sign in with Gmail, right? And it has all your data, your credentials, et cetera. And he said, what's yeah. interesting is that like Gmail didn't plan for that. You can't really plan to be like identity layer. Instead, they just had a tool and that tool was extremely useful, which is your email. That got adopted widely. And then essentially they're like, okay, we could actually provide this now as like an identity service. And you've seen that with Coinbase. They had a product, really useful. Now they're like, let's use this identity service. Whereas if you're coming at it from, well, I forget the name of the access. Is that what you called it? What was the protocol on Solana? Gateway. Oh gateway like maybe that'll work for them but it could be something that's really hard that you almost need to back into identity yeah i think it's an interesting point because if it's just identity for the sake of identity you need to make it enticing for people to actually incorporate that to begin with whereas if it's already a tool that you're using it's much easier to add now i don't think it's impossible but i think i, I do find it interesting how like identity could be the most interesting thing about crypto in general I think even much more important than cash or, or money. And we're just so far away from even step number one there, in my view. Uh, really, all we have currently is Connect Wallet, um, yeah. which, is, which, which is good. But um, I wonder what that looks like in five years. Maybe that's actually, thinking out loud, that could be one of the most biggest catalysts for actual mass adoption of crypto, in my view. But yeah, this, this is me like not being crypto native, but that whole plug in your wallet to this website thing also kind of looks like a scam to me. Like today I went on a website, <laughs> I think it's the block and like go to the block and all of a sudden like this wallet, this pop-up appears with like select your wallet. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like I feel like I'm going to click a link and get scammed. So there's no way an average user who's doing this that has no idea really. They'll never click on that. It's got to be something that's really native. Yeah, there's a, I can't disclose much, but there's something coming uh, on a salon soon that'll be uh, quite quite uh uh it tackles exactly the case you're talking about okay because it's funny it literally happened to me this morning <laughs> i had like a second yeah. freak out i'm like what did i click on one, one thing i was going to say um that i just remembered was um you, uh, you can see with the volumes of DeFi protocols increasing recently that there's a lot of competition happening as well uh i'm sure most people who are in salon have seen maybe the back and forth between the different teams. Um, and it sparked a lot of discussion around, okay, do you do this publicly? Do you do this privately? What is the best way to talk to competitors, call them out for what they're doing that's wrong, disagreements, 
And I think a lot of people, and so this is actually a truly unpopular opinion from what I've gathered. A lot of people say to like just hash it out in private or don't say stuff like, you know, your protocol sucks because you're making Solana look bad and, and whatnot. And yeah, I mean, that's probably true. And this is kind of where the unpopular opinion part comes in, but I think you need to do it. <laughs> like, I think if you have problems, I think you need to dish it out in public uh, and, and hold people accountable. One of the biggest themes that I'm a believer in is in, in centralized systems, you can hold centralized entities accountable and, and maybe blame them for stuff. And because, you know, that's kind of the construct of what centralization means. But in a peer to peer system that's decentralized, the peers have to hold each other accountable. And, and that needs to be very robust and relentless. Otherwise, things will get through the cracks and the system will crack, start, start breaking through kind of the broken windows theory, right? And what that means, unfortunately, unfortunately for some people, um, is that there's a lot of aggressive, maybe toxicity even, that needs to happen for the social layer to kick in and self-correct. I almost see it as like an immune system for the body that is the blockchain, right? You need to have, and it's just inevitable in my view. I think the much bigger danger is not discussing things like maybe predatory APYs because you're afraid that you might make the ecosystem look bad or you're afraid that the VCs of that protocol are gonna hate you and will never fund you. Um, I mean, for example, uh, Brian keeps posting those Solana things and I keep shitting on Brian. I don't care. I think it needs to be said. Um, it's not like I'm insulting him personally. I'm just saying your ideas are, are detached from reality, right? And, you know, on the occasional, I might've said to, uh, maybe you should grow some hair back. You're a disgrace to bald people. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of my point, which is that do not be afraid to speak out, provided you're not harassing people, right? Like, don't say like, you're ugly or something. <laughs> like, that's just stupid. <laughs> but like, certainly criticize their ideas. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This is a specific example, and I know you weren't calling them out individually, but there was something with Argenfy this week, or this may have been last week, they tweeted out a chart. Um, and it showed that they had over $3 billion in daily volume, which margin five is a lending protocol. So sometimes it's a little weird to think about volume anyways. In this case, margin five, I think was just counting deposits and withdrawals from the contract, like his volume, which doesn't really make sense for a lending protocol. A lot of that is like our bots using uh, margin five. But the thing is, it's just like a big number that catches everyone's attention. And you just pointed out, like, I know that you're not, you know, trying to mislead people, but it's kind of like utterly insane the amount of damage that those stats can do when you're posting this, because we've seen that in the past, but not just Solana, but on other chains as well. And when you see that big number, people are just drawn to it. So I think people like you keeping those in check, because a lot of this stuff's really complicated and it's really easy to mislead people. And you said the same thing with Solana talking about daily active addresses. Can you say why you think that's a dumb metric for Solana? It's just very easily gamed, right? Like I can write a script right now that creates a new public key, transfers money to it, transfers me back money from it, and then transfers another wallet in perpetuity and, and break a billion users. Uh, it's just it's just silly. Um, and yeah, I, I don't blame margin for that. I, I actually blame the data providers because I think as data providers, you have a you are the domain expert. You have a duty to act, report accurate data. Dune and Flipside are very good with this and they open source their how, how they query and, and, and structure the data, which is very important. But uh, there's like certain teams which have caused immense damage. Like there was a graph that the block showed something like total value moves on Solana, which is like a ridiculous metric. It has like immensely decreased everybody's off the chain. It's like, no, no, no. It was wrong to begin with. The, 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 the source of the data was absolute bullshit to begin with. And anyway, so um, it's, it's, it's good to always, if you're working with data in, in blockchains, use things like Dune and Flipside where you can see how the data is sourced, you know, like literally handcrafted data. And there's a community of analysts who are actually very knowledgeable and hold each other accountable um, as opposed to blindly trusting like sensationalist tabloid Twitter account saying like, oh, like the number of addresses is quadzillioned or something or volume is infinite now. Like it just, you know, we, I mean, I shit on other ecosystems when they do that. So it's only fair that we should apply the same standards to ourselves.
Yeah, Dune's head, and I forget what he calls himself, like analytics. Headmaster. Analytics. Yeah, headmaster, wizard. Um, he put together a really, really cool doc for anyone that's like a researcher trying to get the data side of Solana. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And I just wanted to say on MarginFi, just since we use them as an example, they've a- absolutely been ripping. Um, their TVL is now at 120 million plus, which back in yeah July was at 3 million. And then they announced points. So um, it's awesome to see these different protocols. And I know TVL is not a big thing for Solana, but especially if you're a lending protocol, that's when it does matter. If you're an AMM versus a club, that's when TVL does not matter. So it's very like nuance specific as well. Um, mm-hmm. You're just talking about, for example, like what to look at, like metrics. You look at the developers launching on an ecosystem to say like, what's going on? Is this bullish? Is it moving in the right direction? Also think it's like projects are getting involved. So we know Visa announcing that they were going to use settlement on Solana was a big deal. Also, I think Circle though coming over is huge. So like CCTP is live on Solana's DevNet. Essentially, that's a really easy way to bridge if you're using USDC. So if you're going from Ethereum to to Solana. And I know that's huge because I've done some bridging from Ethereum to Solana and it's pain in the ass. Even using MetaMask snaps, which I think is going to be really cool. And like Soulflare has done a lot of awesome work. Uh, also a pain in the ass. Like I, I, for one, I know a lot of people in crypto may not do accounting or report taxes. I'm not sure how that works, but I was just thinking about how I'm going to report taxes using that snaps and I have no idea. So like things like that have to get worked out if you want any form of mainstream adoption. Sure, apps are cool, but the normal person also wants to know how they can pay taxes. If it's not simple, they're not gonna do it. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a good point. And it's actually why I basically only use Coinbase as a bridge because they at least Same. do my taxes for me. Um, I'll take the hit on the fees there. I, I kind of just have to. Um, and, um, Oh, Mert, on that, did you actually see, though? I don't know what the fee is, but Phantom added an in-app. So, like, Phantom supports Ethereum and Solana. Yeah. And now you can actually bridge very simply. I don't know what the fee is, but in the wallet itself, which is huge. That's going to make it so much easier for users. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw that. Um, I specifically saw Tolly's tweet where he said, this honestly should have been a one-way bridge, in my honest opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, like, it should just be from Ethereum to Solana. Well, I think I think it will be like people if you're coming from Ethereum to Solana for most people and you see how low the fees are, as long as there's applications there, which there are, it's going to continue to build. I don't know why you'd leave. So I, I don't know either. Um, it, yeah, I'm, I'm super it's, it's a very good future. I'm super interested to see how that plays out because, you know, the Ethereum kind of thesis is that you should not be transacting on the L1, you should be transacting on, transacting on the L2, which should mean that Phantom needs to add support for L2s. But then there's like 100 L2s now. And so I'm not sure that's I, that's not a product challenge I would want to tackle myself. Uh, that seems like a nightmare, which is why, you know, Helix is only on Solana. We, we, I just fundamentally don't believe that you can go multi-chain and provide the best possible product experience for all chains simultaneously, right? You're just betting that somebody that's on that chain is not going to be more focused than you. And that's a big bet. I shouldn't say this because it's blasphemy, but you were talking about competition picking up in Solana, like Solana DeFi. This is kind of looking like what happened with Ethereum, even though Ethereum always had a plan to have a modular roadmap of some sorts or like the 64 shards, um, not necessarily like individual roll apps. But I wouldn't doubt in a year or two, you see a few of these Solana apps saying like, oh, we're in this fierce competition. We're the ones that users want. Should we have an SDM roll up type thing? I mean... I don't know. If you just look at what happened on Ethereum, you can see that happening on Solana. I don't think it would work for most of them. Uh, maybe if you're someone like Maker, where you need like a specific use case to have an SVM app chain, it'd be useful. But I think what's really cool at the end of the day is that if they do end up doing this, some of the apps, and they use the SVM, the network effect that that would create is still extremely strong for Solana. And Solana would be like that base liquidity hub and execution hub that everyone's kind of like the trade routes would be in between Solana. Um, but I do bet that that's a future that we see. Yeah, I would agree. We'll certainly see at least one DeFi protocol become a roll-up or some sort of an app chain, you know, Frankenstein thing. Um, yeah, but 100% that'll happen. There's so much competition in Solana DeFi right now. It is, um, I made a post about how to get started on Solana and like the DeFi section was, I was like, oh my God, I hope I, I, I you know, don't leave anybody out. Uh, and I still left at least one team out by accident. Um, and so there's a lot of competition, which is, um, you know, people always talk about how competition is great. Um, that's another thing I just fundamentally don't agree with, or is just half the picture, right? Like everybody, everybody t- will say like, okay, competition is good. It's great for the users. It's great for the consumers, drive prices down. And it's like, okay, 
that's that's like that's correct and that's half of the picture but it also means those teams are so busy competing that they are probably not focusing on risky bold endeavors that'll drastically improve the state of the ecosystem right they're just competing on okay how can i get lower slippage or how can i get better trading and that's good if that's all you want to do but there's so much design space out there in crypto especially that i and this is not something that's avoidable by the way i'm just commenting just for the sake of it but i don't think competition is always a good thing that's because you're a peter Thiel guy i could just sense zero to one seeping out of you while you were saying that <laughs> you know you also that does remind me though you talked about how like founder-led companies are essentially the most innovative and like the best companies today and you, i think you were like referring to sam altman but you also have people probably like zuckerberg at facebook i don't know if that's the example you were thinking of but that did remind me of like antonio we were talking about dydx that is a founder-led company even though it is in crypto and based on like, your statement there they're probably the most likely to be innovative and see around the corners and potentially win i guess the hope is with crypto rails you can also have that relatively decentralized at the same time. But I do think anyone that's like, we're going to become a Dow day one is just going to lose. They can't be innovative enough unless you're a very specific product that can just be neutral, doesn't have to innovate, but that's probably one in 1 million. Yeah, no, I agree. There was an interesting experiment on Solana um, by a guy called MetaProfit, who's actually an OG ETH guy, but he's an honest, so we don't know his real identity, who set up um, a Dow that's decentralized from day one. And they passed proposals by basically betting on price movements. It's like, a, it's called Futurarchy or something. I, I don't know how to say that word. Oh, Futarchy, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Futarchy is a form of government proposed by economist Robert Hansen, in which elected officials define measures of national well-being and prediction markets are used to determine which policies will have the most positive effect. That's like a wild experiment and it's actually happening on Solana. So that's, that's cool. something to keep an eye on. That's really cool. And it was amazing. I think it's probably pretty good. I think we're in the deep end. So anyone that's lasted obviously enjoyed it. So thank you for listening. Mer, yeah, I think I'm going to run. Get out of here. Edit this thing so I can get to Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah, I will be shit posting on Twitter. No thanks to you for me. <laughs> All right, everybody. Please subscribe. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next week. Hold up, hold up. Got one more thing for you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did hit subscribe, but even more importantly, we still have our Black Friday discount going on right now for BlockWorks Institutional Crypto Conference it's happening in London this March. You probably heard me talking about it earlier in the show. Remember this discount code that you can use for 20% off is BlackRock Lightspeed. BlackRock Lightspeed. Go use that discount code and I'll see you there.